verse 3, where Paul says there, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring that good work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Last verse. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Father, we pray now that you would be with us uh, during these next few moments in your word. Holy Spirit, assist us, help us to be able to glean everything that you desire for us to get out of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, The Apostle Paul is opening up in in a beautiful way that I believe is not just for the Philippian church's benefit, but I believe it's for Pathway's benefit. Notice here in the outset here of this passage, he opens up with a thanksgiving, with a prayer. If there's one book of the New Testament that speaks to joy in the Christian life, it's this book. Sixteen times the word itself, joy, is mentioned. And for the first time, we're finding it show up here in these next couple of verses. This man was a man whose life was marked by joy. We hear a lot about happiness and joy and where to get it, right? Money, sex, power, fame, material, possessions, you name it, upward. But here and in this book at large, we find a different kind of joy. Not just a different kind of joy, but where to get it. And the apostle himself, through his life and what he's modeling before our very eyes, is showing us where to get it. He opens up in an interesting fashion. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And so one of the first things that we notice here in terms of how to appreciate joy is this. you got to have a prayer life. Prayerlessness does not equal a joy-filled life. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The life that's marked with joy, no matter what's going on in terms of our circumstances, is the life where there's prayer at the forefront. And that's this man's life. We know where he's at. He's in prison, strangely. And yet that has not prevented him from being able to know anything about what joy is about. This is going to be an encouragement to somebody where it may not necessarily be prison because you're here, but there's something an awful lot that feels like prison in many of our, of our lives. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Notice his prayers don't begin with God, gimme, 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 as some of my prayers do. <laughs> Rather, it begins where all of our prayers should begin with, a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude. Why is this important? Why is this worth mentioning for this reason and this reason alone? Because if you've lived a little, if any of us have lived a little, you know that there's enough in our set of experiences that give cause to just wanting to be bitter 
and ungrateful. There's just a lot of things in our life that don't go as planned or even as desired and therefore can easily result in our hearts not welling up in thanksgiving. Paul is that man. Uh, He had enough going on in his life, not because of sin, especially in his case, not because he's on a track record of rebellion and backsliding, but because he was doing God's will, and yet these things came across in his life, and yet his life is still marked with thanksgiving. His his life is still marked with a heart of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, In everything give thanks to the Lord, for this is the will of God, your God, in Jesus Christ. In everything give thanks to God. And Paul here is doing that. But notice, Paul isn't just praying for things. Paul is praying for people. So not only was Paul's prayer life not about God, gimme, 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 nor was it about things, it was about people. What people? These people. In fact, he says here, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, in the plural, in the Greek. Here it's you, you don't know it. Always in every prayer of mine, always. Paul here, notice, is in this situation, in prison, where he has every opportunity to take his experiences and his emotions and his mental energy and focus it upon himself. But instead, what does he do? He goes outward, and he focuses on the people that God has placed on his life. This church, even though they're miles removed from one another, they're still on his mind. In fact, I just flew back in Thursday night uh, from California, and I was, I was meditating all week long, getting the family back. Pray for them. We got, yeah, got, got one here. We got a bug going around, and I was down and out yesterday, and I fought through it, but God is good anyhow. In everything, give thanks, Right? Let's, let's put the word to application. Um, but as I was away and just praying and, and working through this message and meditating, and God began to show me, I could, I could do more of this. I want to do more of this. So I began to have the faces of this church on my mind. I'm, I'm sure that's what Paul did. Here he is away, miles away from them, and yet he has their faces on their mind, and he's, and he's allowing his prayer time to be all about them, these people. Now, Paul is telling this Philippian church not so that they can say, oh, Paul, what an amazing apostle we have. But he's, what he's hoping is that this would characterize the life of the body of Christ, that, the, that this would be a part of the community. In other words, I think this is what God wants for us as a church, is that it's as wonderful as it is when we have a chance to get together like this and be in each other's company We know that there are an awful lot of days where we're in each other's absence, but that shouldn't discourage us from keeping each other before our minds. But what better way to do that than through prayer? You see, one of our ways in which we mature and develop in our Christian life through our discipleship is through our prayer life. It says a lot to me about somebody who prays for people. That means, I mean, you had an infinite number of things to do with your time. Like check the social media news feed or um, binge on Netflix or, I mean, do anything with your time. And in your week, which belongs to you, to bring people that you are a part of a church with before the throne of God. People who have needs. This is what marked Paul's life. Joy is kind of 
kind of, uh, not just cliche, but a little cheesy, but forgive me. Uh, Jesus, others, and then yourself. Okay? <laughs> Wasn't it? I thought, yeah. <laughs> but, that, but, that was, but that was Paul. The first thing that marked Paul's life and that consumed him was Christ. For to me to live is what? Christ. The second thing that marked Paul's life were not so much himself, but others. Because Jesus was first, others were next to that life. That's what fueled his prayer life, this this acronym of joy. That's what fueled his Christian life, others. Philippians 2.3, consider others more significant than yourself. Paul isn't just instructing other people to take this pill, this medicine. He's taking it himself. And then after all that is said and done, then he looks at himself. Where did he find that? With Jesus. He found that in Christ. And because he found that in Christ, it ended up becoming a part of his life. You see, I think that's what is going to help foster. I'm thinking about how do we create more community? That's something all, all people, all Christians and leaders are always thinking about. It's like, how can we strengthen our ties together? Some people may say, let's just have a program every single day of the week at the church and just make sure people show up there. Or let's just have this and that. And as, as much as and as wonderful it is, as it is to plan and to talk about activities and programs and events and other things to get together, you can, have, you can have your church calendar full and people are still not connected with each other. I've seen it. I've seen it. And Paul here, I think, is getting at something that really speaks to the heart of the issue, that really bonds people and helps people be, become reminded of what we got going on here. Because we're reconciled vertically, we got to be reconciled horizontally. And where does Paul start? Because it's an issue of the heart, he starts where? In his prayer life. In his prayer life. It's not to say that Paul didn't have conflict. In fact, that's one of the reasons why he's starting out this way. We're going to see a lot about the way in which he addresses conflict in the church. After all, I mean, all you got to do is be a part of a church long enough. There's going to be conflict three years out, five years out, we're going to have different kinds of conflict. It's just the nature of things. We're saints, but we're sinners. <laughs> we still sin. I'm not trying to take away from my message last week. We still sin. We step on each other's toes. And there are going to be ways in which we're going to cross each other, which means we're going to have to learn how to be Christ and know how to reconcile and forgive each other and, and know how to be gracious toward one another. And that's what's going to happen in this particular church in chapter 4. He's going to get, Paul got wind of what happened here. And so Paul says, look, one of the ways in which to deal with, manage, and resolve conflict is through prayer. Through prayer. Through prayer. It's really hard to hold a grudge against somebody when I'm praying for them. That's the point I'm trying to make. Let me go a little step further. Not only is he praying for them, what does he say? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Man, how do you have beef with somebody and still at the same time thank God for them? You see what I'm talking about? So what Paul is saying is the antidote to keeping conflict at bay to begin with, or if it's already shown up, resolving it is, is being a church that's a prayerful people. There's a prayerful poop. You see, you got a couple of people out there with, with respect to conflict, depending on how we grew up. Some people grew up seeing conflict. Maybe you saw men lay hands on women, or maybe you saw things in homes. Maybe you saw things at work, wherever. All of us are the product of our upbringing, and that shapes 
how we view things and how we get triggered. We see that. And with respect to conflict, whether it happens in marriage between couples or between parents and children over decision-making, or whether it happens on boards in companies or boards at churches among leadership or congregational members, there's con- conflict is inevitable. But you got a couple of res- responses to conflict. Some people concluded conflict is all bad. Nothing good could come out of conflict. And so anytime conflict shows up, they make a beeline for the door. They, they flight, you know, the whole fight or flight syndrome, right? So they, they flight, they, they run away, they escape. So their whole approach is escapism. I don't like this, what's going on here, I'm out, right? So as soon as they saw moms and pops going at it again, they grab the keys and they go to buddy's house or whatever. Or they go into the room, they drown themselves, right? Wherever you see conflict, you bail, and that's your, fault, your mode of coping. That's your coping mechanism is escapism. There's another way in which people respond to conflict. And that's, they, they love it. They relish it. I mean, they're like, it's, it's UFC. It's MMA. It's uh, John Jones and DC. It's Khabib and what's his name next, next month? It's, I mean, it's, it's like, let's do this. I love this. I've been waiting for this, right? Now, even though those two extremes aren't necessarily what God is getting at in terms of how to resolve conflict, there is a middle route. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are the peacemakers, for they they shall become sons of God. Peacemakers. You see, Paul is a peacemaker. And one of the ways in which he not only is, is managing conflict in his own life, but is trying to, in a roundabout way, model for this church what they need to be doing to be able to help address conflict in their own lives, whether it's in marriage, parent-child, church members at each other, it's this, be a prayerful people. Be a prayerful people. Learn how to bring God's people regularly before God's throne with a heart of thanksgiving in all your remembrance of them. That's what's going to help you, with joy. And so maybe that's somebody here today. And you've got a conflict. You've got a challenge. You've got something right now where you don't know what direction it's going to go in. This is an opportunity for you to begin. Take that person before God. And know God's going to work on your heart. Because remember, it's a heart issue. As you begin to lift them up in prayer, as you begin to thank God for them, which means in order to thank God for them, you can't just focus on the things that bug you about them. you got to try really hard, and you got to start working hard on the aspects about them that are good, that speak to the best of them, right? You see, because what happens is when we start devolving and start resorting to fighting, all we want to do is fixate on the parts of them that justify our anger and our animus toward them. We don't want to focus on the sides of them that actually are good qualities. That happens all the time. I see this all the time. But when we develop a habit and a posture of prayer and thankfulness, guess what? You got to stop taking, you got to take your eyes off of those parts that make it easy for you to perpetuate your anger, and you got to start looking at those other sides of them that actually are good qualities and how even though you still got this with them going on and it's not entirely resolved, you're able to rise high and above enough to be able to appreciate aspects of them that are good qualities, even though you got this issue. That's Christ-like maturity. 
That's Christ-like maturity. And in the process, you're working through it. And I'm telling you, that's where the battles oftentimes are fought and won, is in your prayer life and your prayer time for them in their absence. Well before you ever have to set up a meeting. And Paul is saying exactly this in his life. And he goes on and he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, he's, 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 he's doubling down and he's pointing out, this is an added reason why I can't keep you out of prayer life. We got too much going on here. Notice that word there, partnership here. Is going to show up again and again throughout this book of the Bible. It's our word for fellowship. Some of your versions have fellowship. It's a very important word, koinonia. Um, koinonia, you've probably seen ministries named after it, companies, businesses, koinonia, fellowship. It's, it's not, it's not uh, cookies and brownies and, and tea. No, no, no. It's not the kind of fellowship in the basement of the church, right, that we're normally used to. No, no, no. This kind of fellowship is, is a profound fellowship. It's a meaningful, substantive fellowship. After all, in the gospel, not in potlucks. I ain't got nothing against potlucks. I'm just saying. It's because of your partnership in the gospel. You see, what ultimately ought to unify us and explain why we got anything going on together, it's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what unifies us. We may have all sorts of differences, backgrounds, you name it, but we can have partnership. The world can only have partnership in, if you, if you pump the same amount of iron I pump, then we got partnership. If you go to the same gym I go to, okay. if you like the same sport I like, if you weigh the same I weigh, if you got the same skin color, the same amount of melanin I got, then we got partnership. If you make the same amount of money, if you live on the same side of the railroad tracks that I live on, we got partnership. If you vote the same way I vote, we got partnership. We could do this for 20 minutes, right? That's the world. You don't need to be saved to have that kind of partnership. The partnership that God is after is in the gospel, which means it's going to confound people when they're going to realize we got Democrats and Republicans in here. We got whites and blacks in here. We got people who make this amount and this amount in here. We got people who got this kind of track record and this kind of story and this one in the same church body in here? Yes. How? The gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul saw something. Paul witnessed something that God did before his very eyes in the planting and the coming together of a whole new church in Europe for the first time to where he's miles away 10 years later, in fact, And he's still blown away by what God did then and there. In fact, he's going to talk about it in in just a moment in the next verse. He's still blown away. He says here, from the first day. Notice, part came to Christ. Acts 16 day, backstory day. The day that these people were the furthest thing from Christ and from God, and yet God found them anyways. He says, from the first day until now. He says, "I, I haven't seen you slow down one bit. What can do that? How, how can something start like that and not fizzle? Because it was the gospel. Because it was built on something that doesn't just work on one weekend or one day or one year when all the excitement and the honeymoon feelings are there. It's something that 10 years later, that church is still on that corner, Paul is saying. 
That church is still alive and has a presence in the community. Why? Because of the gospel. Because this group of people decided to come together and form as a church, not on the basis of all of the other kinds of stuff we can easily form a church on, but on the gospel. I'm going to tell you this. You form a church on anything else, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble and dissolve as soon as it started. Why? Because there's going to be enough that is made up among all those people that have enough not only to bring it together, but to make it come apart. But even if you got issues and challenges and a lot of growth and a lot of process in people's lives, if their lives are built on the gospel, that church is going to remain. Why? Because it's resting not so much on the faithfulness of any person, it's resting on the faithfulness of God and his commitment to his church, no matter what may be going on in that, in that church. Let me tell you, married folk, this applies to marriage as well. You got kids, this applies to kids as well. Maybe you're looking at those kids and you're wondering, like, now as a baby and as a child, but do I have what it takes to raise this child as they enter through all those seasons of their life that are going to make my life a headache? <laughs> Paul says your partnership in the gospel. The word partnership there also has to do with two men who could be fishermen, let's say, and they pull out of their own pocket money to be able to go in on a business and start a business together. Some of my entrepreneurs know this, right? It takes sacrifice. You want to choose wisely and well. Why? Why? Because you don't want to be the only one sacrificing out of your own pocket. You want to make sure that the other person sees the worthwhileness in the investment in order to go forward as one, right? Amen, somebody? That's that same investment here. In other words, this requires a sacrifice. What God is doing here through our church is going to require sacrifice on the part of everyone, but that sacrifice will look different for different people and in different ways. And Paul is saying here, your partnership has been with me in different ways. They've been generous toward him in the gospel financially. They've been generous through their suffering with him. Verse 19, they've suffered together with him while he's there suffering. They've suffered alongside him. They've encouraged him by sending actual people to him. Epaphroditus is the one who came to him. That cost them. That's one of their best that they sent who nearly risked his life because he was at the point of death. And it brought great pain to them to know that they may never see him again. But they wanted to encourage Paul while he was in prison in the process. They were praying for him, Acts 19, um, Philippians 1.19. They were praying for him. So through their generosity, through giving, through suffering together with Paul, and through the way in which they were encouraging Paul, through who they sent, and through their prayers for Paul, all of those ways in which they involved themselves in the gospel were ways in which they partnered together with Paul. What am I saying? Not all of you will be able to partner in this gospel with Pathway all the same way. But the question is, what way can you? You see? Don't try to compare yourself to the next person. In, in any given church, you're going to have people who are going to be able to partner in the gospel and contribute to this thing in different ways. Some contribute in one way, others in another. But the question that you need to be asking is, God, am I partnering? Can, is it safe for me to say that I'm a partner in the gospel here? The reason why I bring this up is you're not going to know 
anything of what it's like to be a, a part of something until you're vested in it. When you're on the sidelines, it's really hard to evaluate. When we get W's, you're not going to feel the fruit of the W like everybody. Identify with the pain of the loss like everybody else will. And then want to rebound. Because you're on the sidelines. And Paul was thankful that this was a church that never found themselves on the sidelines. They found themselves on the field from the first day until now. Paul says here, because of your partnership in the gospel. That's why he thanks God. It's no surprise to me now why he can't cease to pray for them. When he says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, of course. You got people like that vested in who got not only one hand but both hands in. They're like, Paul, count us in. We don't want to just get saved and wait for heaven. We want to be involved in with what God is doing in this thing. And so what have they been doing? They've been sharing this gospel, communicating this gospel. That's what we need. We need all of you. We need every single one of you understanding that where this begins is with you becoming a Christian, no doubt. But the moment you become a Christian, we desperately need you maturing in your faith. Because look, the sooner you can mature in your faith, the sooner you can have a lane to run the sooner you can have a part to play in playing leadership roles, in pouring into the lives of others. We've got all sorts of lives that need to be poured into. We've got all sorts of, of people who are both here at church and outside in this city that need to be reached with the gospel. But the only way that's going to happen is as you and I begin to see our identity and our role, our partnership in this thing, in the gospel. That's what this is about. It's not only being a disciple, but making disciples. And so if you've come to Christ, praise God. You're a disciple. Now it's about getting to that place where you could now become a disciple, which means you're going to be at that place in your life where you're going to be spiritually responsible for the lives of other people who are around you. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like the experience that comes from pouring into the lives of other people where you get a chance to see their life with God take off to whole nother levels. People often ask me, how come I don't sense God's presence? I just feel like he's absent. Well, remember what Jesus said. When he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, he said that in the context of what? Discipleship. Jesus was saying, look, as you go, and are about making disciples in your life, with your life, guess what? I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. My presence is going to be with you. My manifest presence is going to be with you as you go about making disciples. That's what I want to see. With all. There, there are many in here whose, who, whose hand God is on in ways you... These people are already in your life. The question is, are you leveraging them for gospel kingdom purposes? That's the question. And Paul is doing that already in his life, and he sees that with, it, with their life. But where did it begin? Look with him at verse 6. That's where we're going to have a chance to close out here. At verse 6, what does he say there? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice, he's saying, I'm confident. I know I've been praying for you. 
I know I've been talking about how thankful to God I am for you. I know I've been telling you that in all of my prayers, you keep cropping up. It's like I could try all, my, all I want to do to keep you out, but there you are again. And the reason for that is you guys have had a vested interest in this gospel. You didn't just get saved and send me off. No, you've wanted a part to play in this from the beginning, from the first day until now. And now I know, now I know, now I could be confident that he, the Father, who began a good work in you will bring that good work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the saving work of the gospel, that God is the one who began this work in these Christians' lives. You see, the reason why Paul could be confident in what, he, what God did in this particular congregation is because it didn't start with them. It started with God. You see, our salvation rests not so much in ourselves, but who? In the one who saved us. We, we didn't save ourselves. God is the one who reached down and lifted us up from that, from that dung heap. He's the one who crossed us from, from death to life. He's the one who took that heart of stone out and replaced it with the heart of flame like we've never known nor ever had. And he says, because I know God's up to this, God's behind this, I'm confident. Paul's confidence wasn't in himself. It wasn't in them. After all, he's seen enough going on in this church to discourage anybody. But he says, you know what? God's faithful anyhow. God's faithful anyhow. People often ask, like, how do you not get burned out? They'll ask Christians. How do you keep going? How, how, how do you just deal with a lot of the church stuff and, and keep going forward? Because I understand that there's a sovereign God, that there's a God in control of his church, that this is his thing. It's not my thing or anybody else's thing, that these people are ultimately in his hands, not anybody else's hands. That's what allows someone like me to sleep. That's how you not eat the bread of toil, Psalm 127. That's how we all go forward as a church. We put our salvation in God's hands. He says here a couple of things with respect to that. Not only is he confident, but he tells us why he's confident. Because he, that's the Father, so that's important. We're going to see the, the, the whole trinity here. Because he who began a good work in you, that's that church, that's you pathway, will bring it, that good work, to completion. That's our glorification at the day of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' second return. Notice Paul says in Philippians 3.21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's the completion, that glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying, look, I've got hope. I believe that Jesus is returning someday and that when he comes back, he's going to glorify our bodies. That whatever may be true about us right now, we may have issues. There may be dysfunction. We may be broken. There may be sin. There may be conflict. But I realize that God is still up to something, that he's not done. And what gives Paul confidence is the fact that Jesus is doing something through this church, despite what may be true, 
Why? Because he began. He began. God doesn't begin something and not finish it. Some people look at themselves and where they're presently at in their spiritual life, and they see signs or indications of non-Christian life. And they're like, oh, no, maybe that commitment I made to Jesus wasn't real. Oh, no, maybe that hand I raised in response to the gospel wasn't true. Oh, no, maybe all those feelings or those thoughts that I had when when I thought I gave my life to Jesus wasn't right because of what I'm seeing right now. My encouragement to you is to take your eyes off of yourself and what you're noticing still needs to change with you and focus it upon Jesus, the one who saved you in the first place. Any one of us going on in my own life to discourage me and to make me think like, there's no hope for me. But as soon as I look at God, as soon as I start focusing on his character, as soon as I start fixating on his faithfulness, all of a sudden, it's not that I don't have issues. It's not that there aren't things that still need to grow and change with me. It's just that the fact that I'm focusing on him gives me hope. It gives me encouragement to know that, yes, that may be going on, but there's a brighter day. That this isn't the whole story. It's only a part of the story. And because God has worked in my life, he's going to go on to bring that good work to completion. You see, that good work is their salvation. The good work that he's talking about is their salvation. Remember in Acts chapter 16, it's, it's the heart that was opened in Lydia's heart. It's the jail, it's the correctional officer, the, prison, the prisoner, and the, the, the prison guard who was saved. It's, it's the slave girl who came to Christ. It's, it's everyone who made up that church, that good work that God brought. It's that salvation that he brought in his life. I want you to know that same good work has come to this church. And Paul is saying, look, every one of us could be confident for others. That's why we need the body. Because when we're left by ourselves, there's enough going on in me to be able to discourage me to where I can't even offer myself the counsel I need. But if I got my brother, if I got my sister around me, even when I'm going through difficult times, I could know that there are going to be people around me that are going to say, Neb, I'm sure of this, though. I know you're telling me what you're telling me, but I'm confident that he who began a good work in you is going to bring that good work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You don't get that if you're out of community. You don't get that if you're not in fellowship. Notice, Paul is telling this to the church. God's telling this to me and you. We we ought to be telling this to one another. It's faithfulness. It's in God's faithfulness. Where are you today? You're somebody who is struggling. And maybe you're living with perpetual defeat. Maybe you're feeling like, I don't know if it is. I was beginning to be faithful, and it seemed like things were going good, and I kind of like this Christian thing. But now, because it's been going on in my life, I just feel like maybe I read all that wrong. Maybe I interpreted what I thought God was up to wrong. But maybe you didn't, is what I'm trying to say. Maybe what you did see with what God was doing in your life was exactly right. My encouragement to you is hold on to Christ. Look to him. Don't rely upon your own faithfulness. Rely upon God's faithfulness. He already started something in your life. I remember when I was in school, I used to get papers for a season. When I was real young, there was a season where I did not like school. And I had teachers that kind of helped that process too. Yeah, 
and I would get these papers back that I would have to show my parents incomplete, in red, with a circle. And I would have to show my parents so that they would know, your kid, you need to know that your kid did not complete the entirety of this assignment. And then we need you to complete it together with him, with a parent's signature. And it has to be sent back. God's not like that. God will never have written on any one of his files for you incomplete. When he starts something, he has every intention to bring that work to completion in your life. The point is, don't look at what's going on right now in your life. Look at his promise. Don't build your life on where you're presently at. Build your life on what God promises to do. That's where his faithfulness is found. He's faithful, friend. He's faithful, church. He's faithful. He's so faithful that you could look at what's still going on in your life and not have to act like it's not there, but you're focusing on him and knowing he's going to get me out of this. He's going to get you out of this. He's going to get you out of this. He's going to hold you up, and he's going to give you a life. He's going to give you a future. He's going to encourage you. You're going to have exactly what you need. He's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. All that you're lacking and you feel you need. And if that's what you need, God's going to give it to you. He's going to supply it to you. But you've got to look to him. You've got to look to him. That's where your joy is found. Your joy isn't found in your season. Your joy is found in the faithfulness of your God. Let's look to him. Amen? Let's stand together if we could. Let's stand. Father, we pray right now we come before you. There's many of us, Lord God, where it may be easier said than done. I know that. And so we come to you right now and ask that you do the impossible. Lord, look at every person's situation and circumstance here in this building. Lord, I'm asking right now, some of us have tried to place our joy and our sense of happiness and satisfaction in certain places, and we saw what happened there. And now I'm praying right now, Father, that our joy be rerouted and be placed in your faithfulness and in your character. God, make us a praying people. Lord, I pray that you restore a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude once again in the heart of each person, Lord God, for the other person. Lord, I want to be able to think of every member that makes up this church and be, be able to have nothing but the fondest affection and thoughts and regard toward them. And I pray the same for my brother and my sister. Lord, I pray if there may be any conflict, if there may be any challenges, may we take it to you in prayer. As the old hymn put it, take it to the Lord in prayer. And so we do, Lord God. We take it to you in prayer, thanking you for each person. God, I pray that even as we go one another in prayer, that we remember each other in prayer. Lord, give us a vested interest in this gospel. There's so much that needs to be done yet. There's so much work that you have for us. There's a mission ahead of us, Lord. Jesus, you've called us to something great. And I pray, Lord God, that you would raise up each and every person here and help them to see the call of God that has been placed upon their lives. And you help them to see the, the part that every one of them has to play in what you're doing, not just in this church, but through this church. Lord, we bless you. 
our hearts remain hopeful because we're confident in your presence and in your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you be with us here. And now I pray that the love of our God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of this Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Meet and greet, please.